0: Hello beautiful people, beautiful on the inside that is because that is the only kind of beautiful that counts. So if your insides are ugly, sorry that greeting was not for you. Welcome to the Banter Motivation podcast. I'm your host Iyamide aka the voice of reason. This is the podcast you didn't know you needed but won't be able to get through your week without. We'll be discussing everything under the sun meaning no topic is off limits. Equal parts laughs, anecdotes, and of course, motivation to be the best version of yourself. 100% realness, 100% community, 100% growth. Just in case you're wondering, what are bands? Playfully teasing or mocking remarks exchanged with another person or group. So conversation that is funny and lighthearted will be going from jokes, laughs, sarcasm, rants and random talk to more serious things like how do i reach my goals how do i become a better person how do i succeed overcome challenges and get through all the bumps and curves that life throws at us we'll be going from giggles to growth there will be a lot of unlearning which is the process of discarding something you have been taught from your memory and lifestyle Mainly because it's toxic trash, but you didn't know it was toxic trash, hence why you were doing it. For example, thinking you are better than somebody else because of your skin color or social class. Yes, I will be shaking that table. We will talk and share, build a community, and have fun because life is already stressful enough. We need some laughs and motivation to relax and recharge. Happy new month, guys. We're already In the month of July, which means that the second half of the year has officially begun. I don't know about you guys, but the first half of the year felt like a robbery. You know how they say your money or your life. This was your sanity or your life. People were literally fighting to stay sane, fighting to remain functional, fighting against COVID-19. For those of you who kept saying 2020 was going to be a movie... This is your fault because now it has turned out to be a horror movie. Next time, please be more specific as to what kind of movie you want the coming year to be because there's power in the tongue. Talking about COVID-19, guys, it is still upon us. We are still in the middle of a global pandemic, which has turned life as we know it upside down. Barely still allowed out in public gatherings, no weddings, Graduation season is almost over. Those were canceled. There's no cure in sight. We keep hearing that there might be something that's being worked on, but nothing has been released publicly as a cure. Everyone is wearing masks and living in fear. Some states, some countries try to reopen slowly and cases just skyrocketed, like everything went back up. So it really is a lot to process. We have been locked in to this new lifestyle for about three months now and counting and it's it's overwhelming really I'm just trying to imagine all the people who have worked hard counting down to graduation and then out of nowhere global pandemic comes and shuts everything down literally everything was cancelled I have never seen anything like that before usually when something happens it's limited to one country or one state or one town this was the entire world airports were closed schools were closed cruises were cancelled weddings were cancelled literally everything just came to a halt so of course it's a lot to handle especially with all the graphic videos news and social media bombardment having to answer questions from people Interacting at work, Black Lives Matter protests, it really does take a toll on your mental health. And the last three months have been rough. Now, more than ever, you have to make a conscious effort to take care of yourself and protect your mental health and well being. This is not even about being strong, because even for the strongest people, this is a lot to handle. So many people are struggling with anxiety fearing for their lives, people have already lost their jobs, some other people don't know if they can keep theirs, trying to regain control in the midst of all this uncertainty, and just a lot of cloudiness, just a lot of confusion, just a lot of pressure, you know? All the bad news really is enough to make anybody fall apart. So if I'll say one thing, I'll say, don't feel pressured to engage or be productive. Yes, you might see people using this time to, I don't know, save the world, find out they're Superman. I don't know what people are doing, but a lot of people seem to be coming up with new ideas and launching businesses. And this time is really great for them. They are really going all out. If that's you, that is great. If you don't find yourself able to do that, please don't feel any pressure at all. Eat well, sleep, spend time with those who are close to you at home, give the news and social media a break. Not because you don't care about everything that's going on, but you need to be in a good place in order to be effective in any way. So maybe like what they do with little kids, figure out screen time. Maybe you're on social media three hours a day and that's it. The rest of the time you're doing something quiet or private or more personal. If, though, you are looking for something to do when you take a break from social media, when you're not working, when you're not with family, here are some suggestions of things you can do to rebalance and refresh your mind. You can pick up a new hobby. You can learn a new language. You can read a book, join a book club. You can work out. There are a lot of trainers who are doing their workouts online now, so you can join one of those. You can declutter your closet. There are things that you probably haven't worn in forever and probably will not wear for a while. You can take those out and get ready to give those to charity. You can try out a new recipe. Everybody has been making banana bread, so different kinds of bread, sourdough, different things, all kinds of baking, things to keep busy during this lockdown, and I'm not sure about where you live, but it's been an uphill task finding any yeast in the stores around me. So I think that's a good one to try out. You can start journaling, painting, drawing. Journaling is something that I would encourage with or without COVID, but this would be a good time to start. This is all just things to keep busy. If you do actually have already known mental health struggles or you feel that you need help, please reach out. There are professionals who can help. Regardless of the lockdown, they have online resources available. There are hotlines that you can call. There are groups and people you can reach out to. Don't try to pretend that you're okay or try to cover up or act strong or I don't know, fake your way. This is not one of those fake it till you make it times. This is one of those times where you need to make sure that you are taken care of, you're in the best shape that you can be. And if that's not something you can do on your own, then please seek professional help. There is no right or wrong way to survive whatever this pandemic is that is going on. You're the only person who can determine what is best for you. So just know that you are not alone and... We're all in this together. Personally, COVID-15. You know how they say freshman 15? When you start college, you're expected to gain 15 pounds. It's COVID-15 right now. I haven't gained 15 pounds, but honestly, the weight has been creeping up on me. I know at first a lot of people were talking about that, trying to be conscious about. We're home all the time. We're eating all the time. I don't want to gain weight. And I had that conversation with a friend. I was like, actually, I'm doing good. I mean, I don't really weigh myself, to be honest. I knew what I weighed. And I was like, for the fun of it, let me just weigh myself. I did. And I was the same weight. I was like, okay, so what's all the noise about? This was probably in April, I think. So things were still kind of starting out. By the next time I weighed myself, I was like, okay, I've gained like two pounds. Not a big deal. Next time I weighed myself, went up. Next time I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Looks like... <laughs> This thing is no joke. So I'm not at 15 yet, thankfully, but I am trying to make sure I don't get there. I'm someone who already struggles with trying to work out in the conventional sense. And no jokes. My plan was to sign up at a gym, start taking like group classes, getting on things, get a routine. Then COVID hit and that never happened. So I'm kind of in this limbo of, well, I really don't want to go out interact with people, it's still not safe. But being indoors is not really good for my waistline. I know I'm not the only person. I've seen so many people, like there are memes, there are all kinds of, you know, people saying when you come out of lockdown, you're either gonna be, you know, so big you're not gonna recognize yourself, your clothes are not gonna fit, you need money to go shopping, just all kinds of stuff. But personally that's my own struggle. I think as far as mental health goes, I've been in a good place for the most part, but I'm now at the, okay, I should really start, I don't know, planning my meals. I don't eat huge portions. I'm not a huge snacker, so I have to figure out maybe too many fried foods. I don't know. I'm going to try and attack it from the nutrition angle for now and maybe start taking a walk or something around my apartment complex hopefully that helps because yeah i don't want to be rolled out i don't want to be on my 600 pound life i don't want to crane to have to come and force me out or carry me out because i can't walk or get up so i know i'm not the only person in this covid aside guys i was watching a tv show and i heard the term serial monogamist and I was like, okay, isn't everybody a serial monogamous? Don't you date somebody and when that relationship ends, if it doesn't lead to a marriage, get another relationship with one person. But I thought, well, you know, maybe people go from dating one person to deciding they want to date two people. I don't know, it's weird. But I decided to look it up. I like to research stuff on Google. So I Googled it and I was like, hmm, okay. It's funny because there are terms that, When it's explained, you know what it means and you've thought about it many times and, you know, but you didn't know it had a name. So as soon as I read up on what it was, I was like, oh, of course, I know people like that. I know what this means. Pretty much it means you are in a relationship, a monogamous relationship. That relationship ends, you immediately go into another relationship. That relationship ends, you immediately go into another relationship. And by relationship, it can be dating, it can be marriage, but pretty much people who are never alone. I'm sure you're thinking of somebody right now. There are people you know who have never been single. They're always in a relationship. When they're not in a relationship, they're dating, when they're not dating, they're married, when they're not married, they're in a relationship. They just can't seem to be alone or be by themselves. And you have to wonder, why are people afraid to be alone? Why are you afraid to be by yourself? Can you do you not enjoy your own company? Can you not stand yourself? If that be the case, how do you expect another human being, to be interested in being around you, wanting to spend time with you, wanting to hang out with you? That's a very deep question that I think you need to ask yourself. I'm of the opinion that when you get out of a relationship, you want to take stock. You want to think about what happened, what went right, what went wrong, what you can do differently going forward. How much of yourself did you lose? Because that's something inevitable that happens when you're with somebody a lot. They start rubbing off on you. You start rubbing off on them you kind of lose yourself a little bit maybe you hang out with them more than you were hanging out with your friends or family or you made changes to your diet or your routine maybe you started working out or watching certain shows or you know things like that so when you come out of the relationship you have to take stock of okay what do i want to keep what do i want to let go what did i do wrong what did that person do wrong how could i have reacted how have i grown What exactly am I was I looking for in a relationship? Why didn't this relationship work out? What parameters did it not meet? Going forward, what do I want? What don't I want? You know, you have to make that analysis. While you're doing that, I don't believe you should be dating somebody else, right? You're still healing, you're still recovering from that relationship. You never know when you're gonna meet, quote unquote, the one. So you might meet somebody that's interested in you, but you have to be able to set that boundary and say, you know what? This is time out. This is me time. This is I'm dating myself. I'm trying to rediscover myself. I can be in a friendship. We can be friends. We can slowly start getting to know each other. But I'm not committing to anything relationship or anything dating or anything more than platonic. That way you're in a clear space your mind is, you know, cool, calm, you know what's going on, and then your vision is clear, you can make an informed and a good decision on what your next step should be, as opposed to just keep bouncing from one person to the next person to the next person to the next person, and the cycle keeps repeating itself over and over again. So to any serial monogamist out there, I would say take a break. Try just being by yourself. Try enjoying the company of friends. Try rediscovering yourself. And stop leaning on another human being. Stop expecting one person to fix what the last person broke and another person to fix what that person broke. And, you know, on and on and on. It's it's weird to me, but clearly there are people who do that and who enjoy that. And I don't think that's a great way to live. So number one tip don't be a serial monogamous next thing people who molest children honestly I don't know there have been so many stories coming out in the news the last few weeks last few months that we've been in lockdown that we've had COVID-19 coronavirus whichever name you call it I don't think it's new in the sense that it's not just happening for the first time ever but maybe our attention is now focused on it because everything's at a standstill. Maybe people have more access to their victims because, you know everyone is home and there's just a lot going on. I'm really not sure, but it really, really, really angers me every time I see one of those stories, it Angers me because I'm like, where are the parents that were supposed to be protecting these children? And who are these animals? Because you have to be an animal to take advantage of or to abuse a child. That's really what it is. You cannot be a regularly functioning, decent human being and do something like that. So clearly, you're someone who is sick. And it just made me think I wish we were still in the Bible times, Old Testament, especially, where when someone did something, they got punishment like right on the spot, like immediately. Lot's wife, don't look back. She looked back and became, you know, turned into a pillar of salt. That would be amazing. We're already living in a microwave generation, if you want to call it, instant gratification. People want things and they want it now. Like, make a call and it goes right now, a video call right now. Nobody wants to write letters. You don't know how long it's going to take to get there. We want, you know, right now, right now, right now, right now. It has to be quick. When you go out, you want quick service. You want takeout. We want Uber. We want, you know everything is moving at a fast pace. And I really wish that punishment was actually instant. I wish there was a way that as soon as somebody did something bad, it wasn't even about the police getting them or going to court or if they're ever caught, literally as soon as you were committing that crime or you were doing that evil, the punishment would immediately say like, you got leprosy. And then every time we saw somebody outside With that condition, we'd be like, hmm, so that's the crime they committed. Like society would already be able to filter them out and it would be a deterrent to the upcoming criminals or, you know, criminals in training. Every time you saw someone that was missing a left, you know, um, ring finger, you'd know, oh, this person cheated on their spouse. Every time you saw someone who had, I don't know, leprosy or something, it'd be because they molested a child. Or every time you saw someone who... Honestly, I don't know. There's so many different things I can think of. But I really do wish that there was extreme, instant punishment for horrible crimes. For any crimes, Judy really, Boy, especially for horrible crimes. Because for some reason or the other, even in countries like the United States that have rules and have laws and have the police and have you know court system, these things still happen. So clearly, that is not enough of a deterrent. We still need, I don't know, more force we still need more punishment we still need better rules and laws i don't know guys but that is one thing that i've been seeing a lot recently that really sometimes i can't even read it because it's so oh i'm just boiling that's what i'm like leave me in a room with this person i'll know what to do to them if you have any child in your care please 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 make sure they're okay keep checking on them don't feel comfortable because they're in the care, quote-unquote, of somebody you know. People can be monsters, and it's not written on their face. You might think they're normal. You might think they're fine. You might think they're okay. But they actually are just waiting for an opportunity. And once the opportunity presents themselves, the animal in them will come out. And once that damage has been done, it's really, really difficult to reverse it. That trauma that the child will have to live with for life It's not something I wish on anybody. It's not something I wish on my worst enemy, you know. So please, guys, keep an eye on your children. Keep an eye on your nieces, your nephews. If you see something, say something. Don't say it's not my business or I don't care or it's not. Please look out for any children that might be in your care or might be around you. Now, let's go to the elephant in the room that I kind of alluded to in the beginning, which is... Black Lives Matters, Black Lives Matter protests, Black Lives Matter council culture, just Black Lives Matters in general. Let me start with the fact that if you are a black person in the United States, in England, in Canada, most especially in the United States, you have experienced racism in one form or the other. And they are varying degrees, right? So depending on your family history, where you live, where you went to school, you've experienced it on some level of the spectrum. So it could either be overt or something subtle. So overt in the sense of somebody calling you the N-word or actually saying, you know, I can't stand it because you're black or, you know, actually mentioning the fact that whatever injustice they're giving you or, portraying towards you or perpetrating towards you is because of your skin color most times that's not what you get It's subtle so you go to a store and security is fooling you around because i don't know they assume all black people are thieves i'm not sure or people telling you you speak well for a black person which is them assuming i guess or meaning there's an assumption that black people don't speak well so when you find some that do they are like unicorns or dragons, you know, who knew they existed, right? And then you also have one of the ones that's really annoying in professional setting or like in a school setting where you're denied an opportunity that you're qualified for because people feel you don't belong there or there's a quota. They only want five black people and so it doesn't matter how qualified you are. Once they reach that number five, everybody else better luck next time. Sometimes you actually do get in to somewhere that you have overqualified for because the standards are higher for you as a black person. And then the people that treat you as if you're just a diversity, higher inclusion, you're only here because they need a token, you know, people of color or black people. So this is not really something that can be dissected fully in one conversation. It's like learning a new language. You're not just going to learn four words in French and become fluent, Right. You keep learning, you keep practicing, you keep learning, you keep practicing. So it's it's an ongoing conversation, and I'm happy that that conversation has been started and hoping that it's not just something cool to talk about now or pretend to care about now on social media. I'm hoping it actually becomes a movement that enacts change and long-term change at that, not just token change for the time being. So anyway, talking about Black Lives Matter, we obviously have to talk about All Lives Matter. And I try to be objective. I try to see things from both sides when I'm you know, interacting with people or talking to people. And I really have tried to understand why people keep responding to Black Lives Matter with All Lives Matter. And I don't get it. Really, I don't. And I'll tell you why. Think about Black Lives Matter movement as like cancer, Right? Um, there's different types of cancer. Breast cancer, brain cancer, cancer of the blood, lung, heart, every body part, I think, for the most part, you know, pancreatic cancer, different kinds of cancer. And they're trying to find cures for all those kind of cancers. Obviously, different people. Some people have multiple types of cancers, but most people have one particular type of cancer. And there's research going on. There's funds being raised. Breast cancer is one of the more I will say popular ones. So I'll use that as my example. So imagine that you have a family member, a friend, co worker, church member, neighbor, somebody who has breast cancer, and you've been invited or you are part of organizing a walk. They have walks, a lot of times fundraisers, walks, you know, raising awareness, raising money. So you have your shirt, you know. Cure, cure Breast Cancer or Help Us Cure Breast Cancer or you know, Breast Cancer Awareness. You're out there ready to start this walk or ready to start the fundraiser. And then you see people out there picketing with signs saying, All Cancers Matter. I mean... That's exactly what this is like. You are going to be livid. You're going to think these people are crazy or it's absurd. Yes, all cancers matter in the grand scheme of things. But that particular event is to raise awareness for a specific type of cancer, which is breast cancer. So at that event, the focus is on breast cancer. Nobody's saying the other cancers don't matter. Nobody's saying that we should forget about the other cancers. What we're saying is for the purpose of that gathering breast cancer is what matters so it's the same thing all lives matter of course all lives matter we're all equal in god's eyes so let's now make that true in reality black people have been treated as less than equal and now they're trying to raise their voice to say hey we deserve better than this that's not the time to say oh well we all deserve better than this the people who have actually been depriving them of that equality don't get to say, everything is fine, we all matter, don't make a scene, don't draw attention to yourself. It's like somebody being on fire and they're screaming for help, literally saying, I'm on fire, get a fire extinguisher. And everybody else there is like, oh, stop whining, oh, stop making a big deal, uh. We all have, you know, difficulties. I have a headache. That person's toe is aching. That person has a runny stomach. That person has a cold. But somebody is actually on fire. So it's about priority. At this point in time, what the importance is on is black people saying, hey, we've had enough of this. We can't continue to live like this. Something needs to change. The best thing you can do is listen. And if you don't have anything to say, Didn't your mom teach you, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. Don't say anything. Don't come back with All Lives Matter. It's really inappropriate. It's really insulting. It's really annoying. And it just shows that you cannot read the room. You have no idea what's going on. Just stop. Okay? Black people are not asking to be given preferential treatment. I think that's where the mistake is, that people assume black people now want to be given opportunities that they, quote unquote, don't deserve. That's not what it is. They're just asking for the chance to be able to compete on a level playing field. If I have a degree in, I don't know, fine arts and you have a degree in fine arts and one person is black and one person is white, we both want to be considered on the merits of our work, not on our skin color, not on our name, not on, you know, things like that. That's what the point is. So the idea that they're asking for handouts or a leg up or some kind of fake You know, promotion in society, that's not what it is at all. They're just saying, stop trying to push us down, stop trying to hold us back, stop trying to push us into a corner. Let us be the reach our full potential, pretty much. No interference, just let it be a level playing field. I will say this, however, most people are raised with a bias, right? That's just human nature whoever is raising us has certain thoughts and ideas and values that they pass down to us sometimes we just grow up and assume that that's what it is and should be and we carry on that bias other times there's some life experience or exchange that happens and we realize oh actually that's wrong you know this is not how things should be and that bias is flipped or it's canceled so i'll give you an example say i got bitten by a snake Of course, I'll hate snakes. Of course, I'll be paranoid. Uh, You know, I want to go around grass. Every time I see anything move, I'll scream. I'll jump up. I'll swear that snakes are the worst thing to ever happen. You know, it will be traumatic, right? Then say I go ahead, get married, I have kids. From when they're little, I'll teach them that snakes are bad. Snakes are horrible. Be afraid of snakes. Don't go near grass. If you ever see a snake, you know, scream, run, jump, because it's going to, you know, try and bite you. Flee for your life. It's almost like uh, that's a death staring at you in the face. Do whatever it takes to make sure that snake doesn't come near you. Now, my kids at that point have never seen a snake. I've never had any encounter with a snake. But they believe with all their heart, their mind, and their soul all these things I've told them because I am their mother and why would I lie to them, right? I only want the best for them. So they already have a bias towards snakes. If they ever see a snake even if the snake is not even coming towards them or doing anything that has to do with them, they'll be freaked out. They will maybe try and either run or if they're bold enough, try and get a stick and kill the snake or, you know, all of that, right? Even though, once again, remember that the snake has not done anything to them. That's kind of how race relations are. They are biased based on your family, the city where you grew up, what kind of culture was practiced there. So if you're from somewhere where you know, black is black, and we don't like white people, then you're going to grow up thinking white people are bad. If you're somewhere where white is right, so we don't like black people, then you're going to grow up thinking, you know, I don't know, white supremacy, or, or all the other crap that those people believe in. So, at some, I guess, angle, or I don't know how to put it, you can say, Well, it's not necessarily a child's fault that that is what they were born into and that is how they were raised. True. But as you get older, it becomes your responsibility to educate yourself, to find out what is this about? Why is this? Is this true? Is this real? Is this right? And then make an informed decision as an adult not to keep perpetuating stereotypes and carrying on biases for ages and decades and generations that you don't even know anything about and then to be super adamant about not wanting to even explore or educate yourself or find out, is ridiculous, especially when you're benefiting from that bias. That's what black people are angry about. That's what black people don't like. And this whole, you know, one group of people not liking another group of people, it's not only, what's the word, black against white or black against Asian or Asian against Latino, even in countries where people are the same skin color and actually from, you know, the same place and have the same general origins, quote unquote, there's still divisions. There's still people that don't like the others because some are darker, even though we're all black, but some are lighter skin and some are darker skin. Some cases, it's because they speak a different language. So for example, in India or like in Nigeria, people from the north side don't want to marry people from the south side and things like that. But, What makes race relations such a huge deal in America is the fact that, one, black people were brought to the United States against their will, held in slavery, treated as less than human, and then when they were finally set free, the system was set up to disproportionately keep them from succeeding and making progress. So systemic racism, which is what they're complaining about, that's why it's a huge deal. The fact that it's not just individuals who don't like each other it's not just you know people on this street who don't like their neighbor and there's a long-standing feud no it's actually the government the judicial system the financial system literally every system that is set up for the people is biased against that particular racial group so you can imagine that if they've been going through that for centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries and things are not really getting better then I'm surprised it took this long for this level of uprising or this level of, you know, protesting and things like that. Now, remember my snake example from earlier? Okay, replace the snake now with the police. I'm not saying there are snakes, but because of that example that I gave, replace the snakes with the police. Now, black people, because of their history of abuse and maltreatment at the hands of the police most of them don't trust the police and they raise their children with that distrust of the police of the government of you know uncle sam and what the authority figure represents in the united states so remember how i said even if my children have never had any personal encounter with snakes if they were to see one, they would start to freak out because I have told them and instilled in them, snakes are bad, snakes are dangerous. If they get you, you're probably gonna they're gonna bite you, you're probably gonna die, all of that. Now imagine a black person who has been raised thinking the police are bad, they don't want anything good to do with us. This is what they did to our ancestors, this is the history, this is their plan, this is their plot. If you see them, be very afraid because more than likely you might die, you might end up locked up for something you didn't do, and so on and so forth. So when that person who has been raised to think that and has seen things that have happened to other family members and friends and people in their neighborhood, when that person comes in contact with the police, they are lashing out because literally they are fighting for their life. To them, this encounter will more than likely end with me getting hurt. So I know a lot of people say, why don't they just comply? A lot of times, it's like saying when you see a snake, why don't you just act cool and maybe it won't see you and slither away? That's not how it works. You literally just go into flight mode, like fight or flight mode. You try to defend yourself. You try to, you know. So that's the black people. You know. On the other hand, the police, for whatever reason, believe that that person, that black person they are arresting, probably has a weapon, It's probably going to harm them or hurt them. Probably, I don't know, based on statistics, that's the way they were trained in police college, to think that when you encounter a black person, be scared for your life, be afraid, then they end up being aggressive and using too much force because they also feel that they're fighting for their life, I guess. The person they're trying to arrest or conduct a stop and search or whatever it is they're doing is also afraid, lashing out, fighting for their life, and that's a recipe for disaster. There's no reason why performing a traffic stop for a black person has to end in that person dying time and time and time again. But yet, there will be a white person who goes into a black church, shoots nine people, and is arrested without incident, goes to the police station, is hungry. They actually sent for Burger King for him. It doesn't really make any sense, no matter which way you look at it. So the police cannot keep giving the same excuse of I was afraid for my life. Sometimes you're shooting somebody in the back, meaning they were running away from you. How afraid could you be? But then you have someone who is a mass murderer walking towards you and you're not afraid for your life. It just even pictures you could see from the protests and stuff that were happening where police is in riot gear and they're pushing and throwing, you know, tear gas and it's they just came ready to fight, you know. But in April When everywhere was still closed and people were going to state capitals in Michigan and Minnesota and other places, Ohio, trying to fight for their right for places to be open. They wanted their haircuts. They wanted to be back out. They were tired of coronavirus. They were going armed with actual like assault rifles and just all kinds of almost tactical war gear. And the police was there just in nothing but face mask and themselves. No riot gear. No, you know, this is a threat. No. So once again, you ask yourself, why is there a double standard? Why are black people, minority people, people of color being treated worse off than white people? Once again, this is what black people are trying to fight for. This is what black people are trying to correct. This is what black people are trying to change. This is what they're not happy about. This is why they are so disenfranchised. And honestly, if it was only the police relations with black people that was being threatened or that was the main topic of discussion, I think they would have been upset, but probably not, you know, as upset as they are. But it's honestly, in every facet of life. So from police brutality to representation in the workforce, leadership roles in the beauty and fashion industry, financial services, as far as getting access to loans and credit lines, the educational system, you know, the whole idea of the government basing school funding. This is public school funding on property taxes. So people of color, minority people, more than likely or more likely to live in, poor areas or, you know, areas below the minimum um, salary threshold. So that means less funding is going to their schools. The schools are overcrowded. The teachers are not well-paid. They're understaffed. The books are old. They're not getting as, you know, much or as fast. You know, technology that's coming out, they're not getting as quickly as everybody else, you know. So it's literally like being choked, like someone... taking their thumb and just pressing it down on let's assume like an ant you know think about a human thumb how big that is and you're pressing down an ant that is smaller than you no no, no matter how much that ant tries to push up against you you're more than likely going to crush it because I mean your weight is literally just on the entire ant in every area and any way you look that weight is there a black person commits a crime they get you know, say like twenty years in jail, a white person commits a worse crime and they get four years in jail. You know, so it's literally different areas, different areas, different areas. And one area in particular that I would like to point out is the area of healthcare. Because um, that's not something that people talk about a lot. Now I've been here and a lot of people talk about it. I'm glad. But that's something that I want to highlight, the relationship that black people have with the medical community. So as a black woman, I see and have read and have discussed with people about black women not having a great relationship with their medical practitioners a lot of times when that person is white. There seems to be a distrust between black women and their Doctors, you know, their doctors are dentists and whoever is performing a medical service for them. So I tried to do a little bit of research and look into it and found out that black women are three to four times more likely to die in childbirth than white women. This is giving, you know, access to quote unquote the same type of services and whatever else is available. A lot of times, doctors don't take the black woman's concerns seriously and for whatever reason, believe that they have a higher threshold of pain. I've actually heard this from friends who are in the medical profession, among their colleagues, this is a thing. So there's a lot of mistrust between black people and the medical community based on history as well. There is so much history and so many examples of how and why that fractured relationship came to be. Let me just highlight two. James Marion Sims was a physician and he was at the forefront of surgery and what we now call gynecology. So he was a doctor for women. He was a white man and he's most famous for the development of a surgical technique for the repair of vesicovaginal fistula, which is called VVF. Um, which is a severe complication of obstructed birth. That's not the only cause of VVF. I need to add that, but in this particular scenario, that was what his focus was on, which is a great thing, right? He deserves to be celebrated, memorialized. You know, there's a portrait of him with a patient and some of his colleagues hanging in the state capitol of Alabama. That should be, you know, worthy of note, right? Nope. Did you know that he perfected his surgical techniques by operating on enslaved black women without any anesthesia? Literally having full-on operations on black women with no kind of, here's anesthesia, here's to knock you out, here's something for the pain. And then, after the technique was perfected, he would take it over to Europe and offer it to wealthy white women who paid good money, And of course, got to be sedated while those services were being performed. He believed, which is the doctor, that black women could not feel pain. Hence, there was no need for sedation. Think about how absurd that is on so many levels. They are human just like you. And for some reason, you assume that they don't feel pain. I don't know about you guys, but even... If I get a paper cut and it hurts, I'll scream or I'll shout. If I stub my toe, if I. So there's no way somebody's going to be cutting me or sewing or, you know, anything like that. And I wouldn't be screaming or shouting. And I'm pretty sure that they probably did the same thing too. So how do you just ignore that and think what they're acting? They're being dramatic. They're trying to get attention. No idea. And still, that picture of him with his black subject is still hide, uh, hanging in the Alabama state Capitol. So imagine if you were a lawmaker in the state of Alabama or just someone who lived in the state of Alabama, how is that supposed to make you feel? How excited are you supposed to be? How confident are you supposed to be? That's a problem. That's oppression. That's a horrible part of history that I'm sorry, needs to be taken down. Like we're still going to see him in the textbooks and stuff, but he doesn't need to be glorified in the state capitol. And, Some people have said, you know, well, at least, you know, the slaves weren't free anyway and he was doing them a favor because they all had this condition and if he didn't perform that service, they wouldn't have gotten any kind of surgery or cure. So pretty much they should be thankful or they should be grateful. But that's absurd because I'm pretty sure that man had family members. I'm sure he knew other people. He knew these women in Europe. Why couldn't he go to Europe and perform the techniques there and perfect them he couldn't get away with that he could only do that to black women so if you're a black woman and you know that history of course you're already side eyeing like "Hmm, okay what are we talking about another example the tuskegee experiment i don't know if you guys have heard about that did i pronounce that right tuskegee anyway So it was a study of untreated syphilis in the African-American male. So let me give you a bit of a background. I'll just read this out to you. The Tuskegee, why do I keep saying Tuskegee? Tuskegee, Tuskegee. You guys know what I'm talking about. Was a clinical study conducted between 1932 and 1972 by the United States Public Health Service. The purpose of the study was to observe the natural history of untreated syphilis. African-American men were gotten for the study and were told that they were going to be receiving free health care from the federal government of the United States. The study started in 1932 in collaboration with Tuskegee University, which was a historically black college in Alabama. They enrolled 600 impoverished African-American sharecroppers, and out of these men, 399 had latent syphilis. As an incentive for participation in the study, the men were promised free medical care, but were deceived because placebos were given to them, ineffective ineffective methods and diagnostic procedures is what they were getting and thought was treatment. So pretty much it was all a joke. Nothing was really happening. Nothing was really going on. The men who had syphilis were never informed of their diagnosis, despite the risk of infecting others and the fact that the disease could lead to blindness, deafness, mental illness, heart disease, bone deterioration, collapse of the central nervous system, and death. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the men were told that they were being treated for bad blood, which at that time, to be honest, could describe a whole bunch of conditions ranging from syphilis, anemia, fatigue. So someone could have thought he just had fatigue but he actually had syphilis. It's crazy. Anyway syphilis was actually one of the leading causes of illness among black people. So I'm guessing that's why they were using them for the survey. Initially the guys were told that The testing, experimenting was going to last for six months, and it was extended to 40 years. Four zero, guys. Forty years. The people who were doing the experiment lost their funding, and they never even told the men that, hey, we don't have funding anymore, which means you will never be treated. None of that. They still just kept using them, getting data, gathering information without their consent, no Uh, remuneration or payment, no treatments, just using these men to advance science. None of the infected men were treated with penicillin, despite the fact that by 1947, that antibiotic had become the standard treatment for syphilis. So 15 years after the study was started, there was a treatment, which was penicillin, And nobody told these men. Nobody gave them this treatment. The experiment still continued for another, what, 25 years? Now, out of these participants, some of them went ahead and infected their wives and partners. And some of their children were born um, infected. So when you think about that, you really just want to pause and ask why. Why? why was there this idea that black people were less than human why was this idea that black people were just to serve at the expense or why people were just supposed to grow fat and get better and thrive at the expense of black people and their lives and their future why are we still having conversations like this in 2020 and I know some people will say, well, that was a long time ago. We know better now. Nobody's doing that anymore. Doctors are being held accountable and so on and so forth. But black women are still dying in childbirth in 2020 in these United States of America, not in a remote village in some poor African country they like to show on TV. No, right here in these United States, black women are still dying in labor three to four times the rate of white women. Just during this COVID times, Amber Isaac in New York City, she had been pregnant, was supposed to be due. And for two months since February, she had been telling her doctors that something was wrong. And they just kept shutting her out. Nobody was listening. Nobody was paying attention. You know, you're fine. Everything is okay. Overreacting. And she kept talking about it, talking to her partner about it, even tweeting about it, saying, you know, there's something wrong, there's something wrong. Nobody's listening to me. I don't feel good about this. I don't know if I'm going to make it, you know, like have this baby and be alive. And true to her words, April 21st, she died. She went to the hospital. She was in labor. She had the baby. There were complications. She started bleeding out. And whatever the issue was that she had thought there was all along that the doctors told her there wasn't, actually now manifested itself and her life couldn't be saved. But if they had taken notice and actually attended to it or taken her seriously and done something, that was a very easily preventable situation. So when you think about even forgetting you know everything else you know about black lives matter and you think about just healthcare, which everybody should have competence and equal access to and you think about the fact that black women still have to fight to get heard fight to get listened to fight to get you know their questions answered and their worries you know addressed and you know just have a baby and be safe the baby be safe come out alive that's i don't know how to put it that's That's too much to have to deal with. And if for that reason alone, yes, there should be protests saying Black Lives Matter, Black Women's Lives Matter, Black Women's Reproductive Rights, you know, matter, and so on and so forth. Nobody is exempt. That's the point I'm trying to make. This literally seeps into every facet of life. If you can't even go to the hospital and get, you know, the same kind of health care that somebody else would get if their skin color was different, then. I mean, what are we really saying? So much history, so much backstory to unpack. And to be honest, I can't do this in one or even 10 sessions. You have to educate yourself. Ignorance is not an excuse anymore. There's internet, there's Google, there are books, there are articles, there are documentaries. Read, ask questions, learn, figure out what you can do to make everyone you come across feel human and respected. Forget the color of their skin. It doesn't matter, to be honest. Don't judge them. Oh, I just see a black person. Let me put my purse, you know, or cross the street or, you know, whatever else crap that people do because that's what they've been taught or that's how they've been raised. Let everybody you come across feel respected. Don't let your bias win. Unlearn all that crap and all that mess and all that prejudice that you have been raised with or you have been taught. Make a conscious effort to treat everybody fairly. If you're in a position of authority, even better. The standard is higher. You need to understand where people of color are coming from, where black people are coming from, what their oppression has been, what their experiences and their story has been, and what they're still going through. Because this is not just about the past. A lot of it is still valid today change needs to happen. Whether we like it or not, this is the time. It needs to happen now. And yes, there are people looting and there are people being violent. And personally, I believe that's misplaced anger and just youthful exuberance, you know, young people just acting out pent up energy because everybody's been home for COVID and probably their own personal experiences that I don't know about. It doesn't take away from the fact that This is a serious issue that needs to be addressed. Change needs to come now. And I've heard a lot of white people say, oh, we're so uncomfortable even watching on TV. There's so much terror. We can't leave the house. My kids are scared. They're not sleeping right. Then imagine how terrified black people have felt just as a collective people for centuries. Imagine how stifled, imagine how choked, imagine how just oppressed they've been. Try to put yourself in their shoes. Don't find the flames with all lives matter responses or try to point out that people are looting. These are facts. We know these are facts, but these are irrelevant facts at this time. Treat everybody the way you want to be treated. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's really as simple as that. No ifs, buts, or maybe. That being said, guys, once again, I can't believe we're already in July. Second half of the year has officially started. And I know some people have written 2020 off because of all the craziness and chaos that has happened already. I'm not of that school of thought, though. Six months is a long time. I still believe this will be a great year for me. And honestly, you should too. One of those, you know, if you believe it, you can achieve it. Channel every positive thoughts, regardless of what has occurred already. When it rains, it pours. That's just the truth. But if it doesn't rain, you can't see a rainbow. And most times, it's heavy rain, like maybe even a thunderstorm. And after that, you see, you know, a rainbow, which is a good sign. So now is a good time to reevaluate your goals, modify them, if applicable, change them. Take stock of what happened from January to June. For one, you're alive, and that's not something you can take for granted. Even if last year you could take it for granted. I'm pretty sure at this point, everybody knows a couple of people who are not alive today, a lot of them because of, you know, COVID-19. So what have you learned so far from January to June? How can you apply it going forward? Did you pick up a new skill? Have you learned a new language? Did you come up with a new idea? Have you seen a gap that you can fill or a problem you can create a solution to? I'm pretty sure someone was sitting down thinking, hmm, I wonder if there's a way that I can go on my phone and order food from anywhere that I want and it'll be delivered to me. That's how somebody came up with Uber Eats and Grubhub and all the other people who do food delivery services, right? So what problem have you seen during COVID or being home or what discomforts have you experienced or what you know horrible experience did you have that you can share to help others avoid going down that path? Is this something you can monetize? Have you discovered something new about yourself? Have you seen any areas of growth? Are there things you want to change or improve on? It's a lot. It's a lot to think about. That's some food for thought. I encourage you, though, to write down 10 things that you're grateful for. From January to June, 10 things in those six months. Off the bat, it might seem like an uphill task because you're probably like, er, were you in the same 2020 with me? What could I possibly write that was positive or that was good? But once you actually start writing, you realize that even though the first half of the year might not have been as amazing or eventful as you were hoping, you probably haven't checked off all your boxes and ticked you know, all your goals, but it hasn't been as bad as you think, I will tell you that much. So... Now might be a good time to redo your vision board. Your vision board doesn't only have to be at the beginning of the year. It can actually be, you know, this is the second half of the year. It can be at the beginning of the month, whatever it takes, right? Let this first few days in July be a time of meditation and thinking and replanning, restrategizing, and pretty much just channeling everything positive and going into the second half of the year with a bang. like. I need to close out this year with a bank. I can still achieve this and this and this and that. I can, you know, don't give up. That's what I'm trying to say. It's only been half of the year. Don't give up. Don't, you know, people who watch sports, you know how it is. So the dying moments, even in extra time, even over time, you're still hoping, you're still cheering your team on, you're still, you know, encouraging them. So be your own cheerleader, be your own, you know, coach, be your own best player, put your best foot forward. To my Canadian people, happy Canada Day. July 1st is Canada Day. And to my American people, happy Independence Day. July 4th is American Independence Day. This is a holiday week. I know a lot of people are not working or have taken time off or people who had already scheduled because most people, you know, take their first summer vacations around this time. So I don't know how much traveling will be going on because of COVID-19, but... Please remember that COVID-19 is still lurking. Cases are skyrocketing every day. Like the numbers are really scary, no joke. So please plan appropriately. If you do have to go out or be around people, make sure that people you know, hopefully people you've been in quarantine with, wear your mask, keep sanitizing, wash your hands. Don't let your guard down. Don't make the mistake of thinking that we are out of the woods. We are not yet. Please don't risk your life for a few minutes or a few hours of fun. Tell your friends the same thing too. That being said, be the light in this dark world. Be the change that the world needs. It starts with you. Really, all it takes is one person. Think about dominoes. All you have to do is tip over the first domino. And even if you have a thousand of them lined up, each one will keep pushing the next one. They'll keep pushing the next one until it gets to the very end. So be the change. Be the first domino. You matter. Don't say what difference do they make? It's just little old me. Nobody cares. Nobody will listen. Just start. Just start. Just start. Start instituting change and other people will see you and do what you're doing. Or you do a good deed to one person who will do a good deed to another person who, you know, and it keeps going on and on and on and on. Be kind, be safe, make someone laugh this week. Be somebody's light. You can find me on Instagram at Motivation, at B-A-N-T-S-A-N-D-M-O-T-I-V-A-T-I-O-N. You can also send me an email, Motivation at gmail.com. Until I come your way again next week, be blessed. Bye.